Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 8 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the hymn Bible, or the pew Bibles there, excuse me, one of the pew Bibles, and turn to page 136 in the pew Bible. So, Deuteronomy 1, verses 6 through 8, page 136 in the pew Bible. Now, lovers often make some exaggerated promises, right? Uh, here's a, an example from Randy Travis's song, Anything. I'd do anything if you'd just let me hold you. I'd do anything to change your mind. Climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest ocean. Anything to make you mine. Uh, we've heard those lyrics and uh, similar lyrics to that in different love songs over the ages. And that seems, seems, seems to be the, the thing, right? I, I'd climb the highest mountain, I would swim the deepest sea just to be with you, baby. Of course, we understand the, uh, the sentiment by such exaggerated promises. I don't know of anybody who's ever climbed the highest mountain and uh, swam the deepest ocean uh, to be with the one they love. They can't do it. Right? It's humanly impossible to do such things, uh, but we understand the sentiment, and we hear those kinds of sentiments all the time. They're in all of our, our uh, Valentine cards and, and that sort of thing, and all kinds of love poems and that sort of thing. And so we, when we think about that, we understand that a lot of those promises, those exaggerated promises, are impossible for humanity. And then when we come to the promises of God, right? Some of the things that we read that God promises are amazing to us. And humanly speaking, they would be impossible, wouldn't they? And so there may be those out there who would read the promises of God like a, a love poem. Oh, well, that's just an exaggerated promise. But we need to understand something. God is not human. God is not human. God doesn't make promises he can't keep. He doesn't make exaggerated promises. God is faithful to keep all of his promises. And that's the, the message that I want us to get this morning. God is faithful to fulfill all his promises. God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. And in these few verses that we're going to look at this morning, that's the, the central message that Moses is pushing out to the people of Israel of his day, 1400 B.C., and to us today. God is faithful to fulfill all his promises. Now, in order to show you that God is faithful to fulfill all his promises, I'm going to set before you three reasons to trust God's promises based upon some of God's attributes. Three reasons to trust God's promises based upon three attributes of God that we see inferred, at least, uh, from our text. So I want you to leave here today with absolute assurance in the promises of God. Now, as we began Deuteronomy, we started this, this uh, series of messages last week. Uh, we're looking at Deuteronomy, and remember, these are the final words of Moses. These are his final words to the people of Israel as they are about to enter into the promised land, 
and Moses is about to die. In fact, we get the narrative of Moses' death in the last chapter of Deuteronomy. But here we're going to see the, the final words of Moses to the people of Israel. And we're going to see that in three sermons. There's three sermons here. And then there's a, a prophetic poem, a prophetic uh, hymn at the end, and also a prophetic blessing at the end. But, but we're starting here the first sermon, Moses' first sermon in these words today. So if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now, just backing up in five there so that we, we get the full thing here. Moses undertook to explain this law, this Torah, saying, verse 6, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the, their neighbors in the Arabah in the hill country and in the lowlands and, and in the Geb and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and, the, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful promises. Lord, as we look at this today, as we look at your promises, the promises that you made uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and as we're seeing that you are about to fulfill in the nation of Israel at this point in history, Lord, help us to remember that you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are our God. And the promises that you made to them find their fulfillment with us and ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, these promises are for us. Your promises are for us. Let us hear them. Let us trust them because you are a faithful God who fulfills all of your promises. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to obey your word today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now you have there in your, your bulletin there, you have a, a little extra sheet there. And, and I printed this out for you, for, for you nerdy people like me. Uh, you're going to love this, right? Because this is an outline of the book of Deuteronomy. Last week I shared with you that the book of Deuteronomy is somewhat structured, even though it's it's three sermons, a poem, and a, a blessing. It's structured around a, a Hittite, uh, Caesarean vassal covenant. And, and so this kind of gives you an outline of, of that covenant, what a covenant like that would look like. This was a covenant that was uh, very familiar to the Israelites. It was very common in 1400 B.C. And so when they read the words of Moses, as Moses wrote them down, and they were copied down, and and given to the people, and they saw this structure. Oh, that's a Hittite Caesarean vassal treaty, right? This is the covenant, God's covenant with us. And so they recognize this structure in the book. And it's helpful if we kind of uh, understand this kind of structure as we're going through the book and, and understand what each 
what each section is, the purpose of each section is for. And so I'm not going to go over all of these today, but, but you have there each section and what those sections are intended to do. So last week, for instance, we started with the, the preamble, which basically just introduces the setting and occasion of the covenant ceremony. So it, it gave the time and date, right? That's, that's what we kind of looked at last week, and we kind of used that as an introduction to the book. This week, we start into the historical prologue, the historical prologue, which goes from uh, this verse, uh, verse 6 here in chapter 1, all the way through th to the end of chapter 4. And the historical prologue reviews the past history between God, the king, the Caesarean, and Israel, his vassals, uh, signifying why the sovereign God has the right to rule over his people Israel and so that's what we're, we're getting into the day and so as Moses is is laying out this covenant he, he's kind of showing him in the pre uh, the historical preamble here he is showing them who God is who he is his character his nature and what gives him the right to rule and reign over his people it also shows us who the vassals are, who the people of Israel are. And in the, the characteristics of Israel, guess what? We're going to see characteristics of ourselves. We're going to see humanity. We're going to see sinful humanity. And it's going to be an amazing journey as we begin to see who God is and who we are and to think, why would that God want anything to do with us, a people like us? But today we start with the character of God. The character of God. What a wonderful place to start, but with the character of God. And so as we begin to see this character of God, Moses brings them back to and reminds them of God's original covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you remember the Abrahamic covenant. We, we spent quite some time uh, a couple of years ago on the Abrahamic covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant we see established in Genesis chapter 15. If you would just turn with me over there. This is so important that I think we do need to read it as we start this morning. Genesis chapter 15. It's the whole chapter, but uh, it, 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 it's good stuff. So we, we're going to read that. Because this is the background, right? This is the backdrop that Moses is setting this new covenant with Israel uh, as, he's entering, as they're entering into the promised land. This is the background of it. So Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, this is God coming to Abraham. And we're going to see certain things here. There's certain promises that God makes. There's five P's and an S. Five P's and an S that God makes with Abraham and he reiterates these with Isaac and Jacob. Notice what it says there. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So now let me stop there because we see three of the P's right here. Fear not, Abraham, or Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. God is already starting to promise, make some promises to Abram right here in this first verse of the, the covenant, the covenant that he makes with Abram. One, he says, fear not. 
Fear not, I am your shield. God promises Abram protection. God's protection. I will protect you, right? With that comes God's peace. Fear not. Fear not. There's no reason for you to fear. There's no reason for you to have anxiety. I am your shield. I am your protection. So God promises, promises his protection and he promises peace. But how is all of that accomplished? Through his presence. Through his presence. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am. I am. I am with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to be some faraway God up here in heaven just kind of watching around and and hoping you make it. I'm going to be with you. I promise you my presence. So there's three of the P's. God promises his protection, his peace, and his presence. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, and Abram said, Behold, uh, behold, you, you have given me no offspring, no seed. There's the S. The seed and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So there's the seed. We're going to see the seed develop more uh, throughout the rest of, of Deuteron- or excuse me, off the rest of Genesis. But, but there's that introduction of the seed who would come. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and, it was, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God brings him out and says, count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. Here's the fourth P. God promised Abram a people. A people, a community to live in. That's what we need, don't we? I mean, some of us are kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of background people. We, we, we like to get alone our time we we need our 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 alone time i'm that kind of a person but i can't be alone forever right i need a people i need a community to belong to i need friends i need loved ones i need family to to be with we all need people god made us to be relational people we need a people that that's why you see so many people get so depressed when they feel lonely Right? They need community. We need community. And so God promises Abram, he says, I'm going to give you a people. And he promises all of his children, I will give you a people. I will give you a people to belong to, a community in which to belong. Verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. A land to possess. There's the fifth P. P, The fifth P. I will give you a place. I will give you a place, a land to possess. I will give you a place to live, a place to be. Don't we all look for that? We all look for a home. 
a community in which to belong, but we also want a home, a place to be, a place to live, a place to set down roots. We, we look for that. We need a place. And God promises us a place. He promises his people a place, just like he promises, promised Abram a place. I will give you this land to possess. But he said, Abram said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that you shall that I shall possess it. And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when, uh, when the birds of prey came down over the carcasses abram drove them away this is all setting up the covenant this is how they established a covenant in the old testament and and uh, abram's time they would take these these uh, animals they would sacrifice them they would divide them and as we're going to see here in a moment they would the two parties the covenanting parties they would walk through the divided parts of the animals and they would make a covenant they would make a promise and by walking through those divided animals they would they would kind of be saying to one another if if i don't keep my end of the deal and you don't keep your end of the deal let the defending uh, offending party excuse me the offending party be torn asunder like these these animals and so that was what they were doing that's what the this was god was establishing his covenant with abram so they're setting up the 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 covenant ceremony abram is setting up the covenant ceremony verse 12 as the sun was going down a deep sleep fell on abram and behold dreadful and great darkness fell upon him then the lord said to abram know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years but i will bring judgment upon the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the amorites is not yet complete so god is telling abram long before it happens like about 500 years before it happened he, he's telling abram i'm going to bring your seed your offspring your people back here 400 after 400 years of being uh, slaves in another land slaves in egypt i'm going to bring them back here and i'm going to give them this place this land before you so god told abram long before it ever happened this is what i'm going to do when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces on that day the lord made a covenant with abram he made a promise saying to your offspring i give this land from the river of the of egypt to the great river the river euphrates the land of the kenites the kenizzites the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And notice what God does there. He puts Abram asleep, and God walks through the divided animals on his own. God makes the covenant with Abram. 
God takes upon himself all the responsibility of the covenant. I will do it all, Abram. I'm going to do it all. If you fail me, I'm going to take the responsibility of the judgment. I'm going to do it all. God made a covenant with Abram. God continued that a covenant. Flip on over there. In verse 22, he, he brings out that uh, re-emphasizing the seed there. And I'm not going to read all of that, but this is where um, uh, Abraham goes up to sacrifice his son uh, Isaac as the Lord had commanded him but then the Lord provided the sacrifice in place of Isaac and he says there I gotta find my place here um, yes right here in verse 18 uh, and in your offspring your seed and that is a singular seed and Paul makes this uh, clear now, we might think of offspring, offspring for us can be singular or plural, plural, but in Hebrew, it's either singular or plural, and here it's singular. It's one seed, it's one offspring. Through your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, we need to remember that. There's one seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's part of God's covenant with Abraham. Abraham. And then going on over to chapter 26, chapter 26, verses 1 through 5, here we see God reestablish that with Isaac. Chapter 26, verse 1, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the day of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sir, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, uh, my presence. I will bless you, for you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will establish that with you as well. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give you to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed god reestablishes that covenant with isaac and then flip over again to chapter 28 chapter 28 uh, verses 10 through 15 there we see him reestablish this again with jacob now this is jacob's ladder and so Jacob goes in, and he has a dream, and he's laying there, a dream, and he sees the angels of God coming up and down off the ladder. And then in verse 13, we see there, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The singular offspring in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you uh, 
keep you wherever you go. I will be your shield, your protection, and you will bring and and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God promises Abram, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promises him, he promises them a place, a people. He promises him his protection, his peace, and ultimately his presence. I will be with you. And he promises him that seed, the seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now, that was 400, 500 years prior. Now, Israel had already been in slavery for 400 years. God brought them out of slavery. Now they're in the wilderness, and they're getting ready to to cross over into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, and there the, the enemy is mighty. The people are mighty, and, and they're thriving. They had come here 40 years prior to this, and, and they got the bad report back that, oh, they're such big people, they're such a mighty people. Oh, we shouldn't go in, they're, they're going to destroy us. And, and the people of Israel 40, 40 years prior, they, they decided, we're not going to trust God, we're going to trust our own opinion better, we're going to do our own thing, and we're not going to have faith in God. And God sent them throughout the wilderness for 40 years because of their lack of faith. And now he's bringing this next generation back to the land of promise. He's saying, I'm fulfilling it in you. You remember my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Remember my promises? I'm fulfilling it in you, for you, at least part of it, right? I'm bringing you into your place, the land. I'm giving you this place. Now, how are they to trust that God will accomplish his promises? How are they to trust God? Well, they can trust God because of who God is. Who God is. And we begin to see that in the attributes of God. And so here's the three attributes that I want to show you this morning. First of all, we can trust God's promises because of God's omnipotence. Because of God's omnipotence. Notice again there, the Lord said to, said to uh, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb. Now, Horeb is another name for Sinai. So he, he's taking them back again 40 years to, to Sinai. At Sinai, the people of Israel witnessed the power of God come down on Mount Sinai and shake the mountain, right? They saw the glory of the Lord. They felt his mighty presence in that place. Most of the people in this generation, they were little toddlers at that time, but certainly they remembered that. That that was a a moment to remember in their lives, right? That was spectacular. But that was kind of the end of, of another big event, the whole exodus. Right? A lot of these were kids during the Exodus. They, they witnessed that. They saw God's mighty power in Egypt. They saw him divide the waters of the Red Sea. They saw God's mighty power. And so Abram, is, he's bringing them back to that. Remember Horeb? Remember Sinai? Remember the power of the Lord's presence there in that place? Oh, we need to understand that God can fulfill his presence because God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful God. 
He is all-powerful God. Now, now we may make promises that we don't have the power to keep, right? We can make those promises. I, I, you see, hear this all the time, right? I promise I'm going to do this. But, but that's only if it's in your power. There's outside circumstances. There's outside forces that might keep you from keeping a promise. We, we just have to realize that there's limits to our power. But, but there's no limit, there's no outside force that limits God's power. God is all-powerful. Think about uh, the, the very first passage, go back to, to uh, Genesis chapter 1, right? God spoke, God spoke, and things happened. God said, let there be, and there was. You see, you got to understand that God is infinite in power. He is infinite in power. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples here, and this is the, the whole scene where the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions, and uh, his disciples said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus answers this, Jesus said to them, with a man, this is impossible. Salvation is impossible. Right? He said, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a surgical needle. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And, and Jesus said to his disciples, it's impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible because God is infinite in power he is all powerful there's nothing outside of god that hinders him from keeping his promises he is infinite in power but there's not that's not to say there's not limits to god's power now now you say uh oh wait a minute there's limits to god's power yes there are not limits outside of god but there are limits within God. See, God is limited by his character. And so when we talk about the omnipotence of God, we need to, to understand that God is limited by his character. 2 Timothy 2.13 uh, tells us that God cannot deny himself. He can't deny his character. He can't do anything outside of his character. He is infinite in power. There's nothing outside of God that can limit him, keep him from doing anything that God wants to do. But God's own character limits what God can do. He cannot do anything outside of his own nature. So you, you, maybe you've heard that whole illustration there. Maybe you've heard this uh, atheists will come up with this. Uh, they like to, to kind of hit God's omnipotence with, with this, and they think it's an end-all, right? The end-all. Well, can God create a rock that he can't lift, right? Uh, because if he can't, if he can't create the rock, well, then he's om omnipotent because he don't have the power to create the rock. But then if he creates a rock that he can't lift, well, then he's not omnipotent because now he can't pick up the rock. Well, that's a foolish that's a foolish argument because God cannot do anything outside his own nature. Therefore, the answer is no, he cannot, com he cannot create a rock that he cannot lift. 
Because that would be outside the nature of God. He is omnipotent. Just like he can't lie, he cannot do things that are contrary to his own nature. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There's nothing outside of God that limits God. The only limits that God has in his power is his own nature, his own character. God is omnipotent. He is omnipotent. Here's a good definition of, of the uh, omnipotence of God. This comes from James P. Boyce. He says, uh, Power in God may be defined to be the effective energy inherent in his nature by which he is able to do all things. He is able to do all things. The exercise of that power is dependent upon his will and purpose and is limited not by what he can do, but by what he chooses to do. So God limits his power according to his own character. So you can trust God's promises. You can trust God's promises, all of God's promises, because God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is nothing in this universe that can keep God from keeping his promises. God is omnipotent. Second, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Look at, uh, look at verses 7 through 8, the first part of 8 there. Turn. God has given the command here, telling the people of Israel, this was back when they were at Sinai, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors, to the Arabah in the hill country and in the lower, in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast and the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, notice this, I have set the land before you Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. Go in and take, I am giving it to you. I'm setting it before you. I'm giving it to you. Go in and take possession of it. Now, how can God say, all right, here's the land of the, the Hittites and, and all of these parasites and all of those people. Here's their land, but I'm setting it before you. I am giving it to you. Go in and take possession. How can God say that? Isn't it their land? I mean, that's what we kind of think in our, our time, right? That, that, that's their land. You, you can't go over into Palestine because that's Palestinians' land. You, you can't go over in, into this land because that's their land. And so we have that kind of mindset. But that doesn't work with God. And that's, here's why. Because God is sovereign. God owns everything. God owns everything. He created it. He created the earth. He created the universe. He owns everything. It doesn't belong to us. Everything that we own, none of it belongs to us. It all belongs to God. God just gives it to us to steward, right? We're to take care of it. We're to, to manage it. But it's not ours. It belongs to God. 
Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 11, for every beast of the forest is mine, says the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. It's all God's. Everything, it all belongs to God. Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. You have founded them. God created it all and he owns it all. That means he can give it to whomever he wills and he can take it from whomever he wills. Let me just tell you, America doesn't belong to us. This country doesn't belong to us. And if God so decides to take down America and give it to some other people, God will do it. It belongs to God and he can do with it what he wills. God owns everything. Not only that, God rules over everything. God rules everything. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He rules over everything. Exodus chapter 15, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. He reigns, and, that, and that's not just reigning over Israel. He reigns over all of the heavens and the earth. He reigns. He reigns. He rules and reigns over everything. Now you look at this earth and you say, well, how is that? Look how terrible the earth is in. Well, I guarantee you nothing has happened that God has not allowed to happen. Nothing. Go back to Job. Remember Job? Satan went to God said, and God said, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan said to God, well, it's only because you blessed him so. If you would take away his possessions, he would curse your name. And Satan didn't lay one finger against Job or any of his possessions until God said, you know what? Take his stuff. Take his stuff. You can take his stuff. You can wipe out all of his possessions, but don't you lay a hair on, uh, on Job. Don't lay a hair on him. And Satan went and he went and did exactly what God allowed him to do and nothing more. The second time he comes into heaven, stands before God and said, well, if you would just touch his body, right? right he's, he's still got his health. If you would, if you would aff afflict him with sickness, then he would curse your name. And God said, all right, well, you can have his health. You can afflict upon him whatever pain you want to afflict upon him, but don't kill him. And Satan went and he did only what God allowed him to do and not a thing more. God rules and reigns over this world. Yes, he allowed sin to come into the world because he had a greater purpose in mind. How would we know the love of God and Jesus Christ if sin had not come into the world? He allows sinful things to happen he allows bad things to happen but for his people what does he say i'll work all things together for good for those who are called according to my purposes who love me and who are called according to my purposes there's nothing in the world that happens without god saying all right i'm gonna let that happen no i'm not gonna let that happen yes i'll let that happen the shape our country is in right now, it's in that shape because God has allowed it. The leadership we have in Washington right now, whether it be to bless or to curse, it's there because God has allowed it. So you can moan and groan, and we all probably do. We can moan about things that are going on, 
but it's all under God's control. No need to fret. No need to worry. God is sovereign. He owns everything and he rules everything. We can trust in the promises of God because he is sovereign over all things. And just think about that. We see the, the, the fulfillment of that. We, we see the, the outworking of that in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I mean, go back throughout the Old Testament and all of it is prophesying, telling of the seed, the one seed through, all, through whom all the, the nations will be blessed. It's telling about Jesus. It's laying out his life. And here comes Jesus, God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us, he is born in Bethlehem just as the scriptures said. He lived his life and he went to Calvary's cross and he died a sinner's death on Calvary's cross in our place. He was bruised by our iniquity. He was scarred by our transgressions. Upon him our iniquities were laid the Old Testament said. And it all happened just as God said it would happen. How does, that, how does that happen? How is that accomplished? God's sovereign. He rules and reigns over history. How can we trust that Revelation will work out? The book of Revelation. You want to talk about the book of Revelation? Here it is in, a, in, in summary. Jesus wins. Right? That's the only thing. There's a lot of difficult stuff there in Revelation and, and it's fun to look at, and it's fun to work through, but the, the central point of Revelation is this. Jesus wins, and he establishes his kingdom here on earth. And those who trust in Jesus will live eternity in his presence and in his kingdom. Jesus wins. How can we be assured that the promises of Revelation come to, to fulfillment? Because God is sovereign over history. Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump, no one can supplant the, the promises of God. God is sovereign. We can trust that he will fulfill his promises we can trust god's promises because god is omnipotent god is sovereign and third god is trustworthy because of god's trustworthiness his trustworthiness he is trustworthy or excuse me truthfulness that's on the screen right god's truthfulness we can trust god's promises because of god's truthfulness the, the, the theological term here is his veracity. God is, he, he, uh, we see God's veracity. That's the uh, attribute of God, but truthfulness is so much easier for us to remember. God's truthfulness. What do we mean by God's truthfulness? God is truth, right? Number one, God is truth. He is truth. Not just that he is true. But he is truth. God defines truth. He is the source of all truth. He is the source of all truth. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. John 17, 17. Jesus prays for, for his disciples and us, that's us, 
Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth because God is truth. He defines what is true. You look at the natural laws that, that function all around us. Why do you think those mathematical equations come out just right every time? Because God defined what makes those true. He is truth. You know, that's one of the big problems with, with so much of science today. There's too many scientists, there's too many philosophers that deny the founder and grounder of all truth. If they would just start with God, their work would be so much more productive. God is truth. He defines all truth. But not only that, by God's truthfulness, we also mean that God cannot deceive. God cannot deceive. Titus 1-2 tells us that God never lies. He never, ever lies. He cannot lie. He can't even stretch the truth, right? We can stretch the truth. We, we might stretch the truth when we're making promises. A lot of times we over-promise and under-deliver. But God can never do that because God cannot deceive. He cannot tell a lie. If he says, I'm going to do this, God's going to do this. Period. Whatever it is, whatever God says I'm going to do, he does it. Because he cannot deceive, he cannot lie. God is truth. And he is truthful. You can trust God's promises because of the truthfulness of God. He never deceives. He'll never deceive you. He will never deceive any of his people, anybody. He cannot deceive. So God is omnipotent. He is sovereign. He is truthful. Therefore, trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. We could go over many other of his attributes to, to, to ground this even more, right? To firm this up even more. But just because of these three his omnipotence, his sovereignty, his trustworthiness, his truthfulness. It, it all gives us solid ground for trusting in the promises of God. God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. He is faithful to, to fulfill all of his promises. And all of his promises are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Even as we're reading about the Israelites in Deuteronomy. God made these promises to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He brings the Israelites into Israel. He gives them a place. And he, he gives them his presence in the tabernacle and, and the Ark of the Covenant and all of that. He, he fulfills so many of these promises but there was one that was still lingering, wasn't it? The seed. But God upheld his promise because he established Abraham. He established that line. Through Abraham came Isaac, and through Isaac came Jacob, and through Z Jacob came Judah. 
and then through the line of Judah, we see the line of, of Judah preserved, and, and then comes David. And then through David, we see all the way till we get to Matthew chapter 1, and we see the whole line rehearsed there, and then here comes Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, the son of David, the seed through whom all the nations of the earth are to be blessed. We're here today as Gentiles in the kingdom of God, part of the people of God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus came. He died on Calvary's cross assuring us of our, of our place in His kingdom. He gives us a place he gives us a people a community to which to belong he gives us his presence he brings us peace and he gives us his protection protecting us from sin and death our greatest enemy all of it coming together in jesus christ oh trust in the promises of god by trusting in jesus if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you're lonely. I don't have a, a people, right? I don't have friends. I don't have a people to belong to. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I need a people. I need a community. Jesus died to give you a community. He died to give you a place. He died to give you peace. You have no rest. He died to give you peace. You can have all the promises of God if you trust in Jesus Christ. And for us Christians, maybe you're here and you're struggling through something. You're struggling through sickness. Sickness that very well may lead to death. You're struggling through that. Maybe you're anxious about everything that's going on. You're, you're feeling depression. You're feeling loneliness in your life. Trust in the promise of God. Christ died to give you a place, a people, a, a peace, a protect you from all that ails you. He, he did all of that, and he gives you his presence if you only trust in him. Find that peace and rest in Christ today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful, wonderful promises. Promises that do find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. And thank you, oh Lord, for your holy word that shows us who you are, God. It reveals to us your magnificent character. It shows us your omnipotence, your sovereignty, your trustworthiness, your truthfulness. It reveals to us all of those attributes. And in those, Lord, we can stand firm on your promises, knowing that you are a God who fulfills all of your promises. Lord, certainly there are those who are anxious about the things of this world. There are people who are struggling. They're, they're hurting, Lord. Struggling against physical ailments. Struggling against mental ailments. Stresses of this world. 
Oh, Lord, today let them find peace and rest in your promises. Knowing that you fulfill all of your promises in Christ Jesus. Oh, let us look to the hope of your eternal kingdom in Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.